Well, if you would join me in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're using the blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 1015. And if you are visiting with us today, our common practice is to, uh, to work through series, uh, through books of the Bible, sometimes a short series, and we find ourselves this morning in a short series entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? And we've been looking at identity, our identity in Christ. Uh, last week we looked at biblical manhood, and this morning we are going to think about biblical womanhood. Our sermon this morning is entitled, I Am Woman. And we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And our key words for our worshipers in training are woman, church, and beauty. <clears throat> well, in April this year, the Washington Post published an article entitled, Too Many Men. And the article details a crisis that has been going on in China and India in their cultural and governmental um, preferences for males. It's well known that, child had, uh, that China had a one-child policy in place from 1979 to 2015. If a family already had one child, the second child was supposed to be aborted or put up for adoption, and in many cases was even killed after it was born. It was an atrocious human rights crisis, and now the nation is beginning to experience all of the social effects that you might assume would come as a result. What ended up happening was that families largely preferred male children because in that culture they were more likely able to provide for a family in the long term, especially as their parents aged. So as soon as the family could find out the sex of the baby, it was, if it was a girl, she was aborted and the family immediately tried again. The Chinese government also preferred that families had males as well as most companies. So what ended up happening was that very few women were being born in China and those that were often ended up in orphanages to be adopted by Western families. Now China's population is around 1.4 billion people. And when a male-female population comparison is done, there's an excess now of about 34 million men. Now, the very same kinds of policies were taken up in India, and the result is that there's an excess of about 37 million males to females. So between these two countries alone, there are over 70 million more men than there are women, um, and that is increasing with those age 20 and younger. Now, this has created an incredibly competitive environment on every level because of the surplus of testosterone, because of the limited availability of potential spouses, but there are also significant economic imbalances because of an increased savings rate and a decreased uh, a decrease in, in consumption in society overall. Now, I'm not saying anything about how women spend money, but that's just how it is. There are tremendous depression rates among men who can't find a spouse. And terribly, very sadly, there's an ever-increasing market for human trafficking and for, uh, for prostitution and for mail-order brides. There's a rising crime rate. The consequences of this policy extend beyond China and India as well into other Asian countries, also uh, distorting the economies of Europe and the Americas when looked at on a larger scale. One uh, 
demographer in Asia said, in the future there will be millions of men who can't marry. And that could pose a very big risk to society. And indeed the risk is significant because what China and India have done is seek to manipulate God's design for humanity. These statistics prove what the Lord has made clear in His Word and about His design from the very beginning. Women are a necessary part of a healthy society and human flourishing. In the meantime, however, it's been interesting, as that's gone on, to watch what goes on in Western civilization. There's sort of been this resurgence when it comes to discussions about feminism and the relationship between men and women in a society and in the workplace and in the home and within the global economy. Now, the juxtaposition of actual rights and actual values that a society places on women is is fascinating when comparing the West to Asia. In Asia, there's very little concern for women. There's very little concern for women's rights, and there really isn't much said about it from the global community by and large. Now, in the West, there is a significant concern for women and women's rights, and yet society has given women's rights and responsibilities uh, in society uh, this kind of attention that they haven't received throughout history, and yet the West is often called repressive. It's often said that we don't care, but the society is systematically uh, killing females in the womb before they're ever born, and yet says that it's because of Christianity that we don't value women in the way that we should. But the reality is, at least in practice, that the West's ideas about women have been established on a biblical foundation. As we've worked through this issue of identity in our series, as we we talked about manhood last week, as we think about Womanhood this week, as we're going to look at children next week, we realize that every man, every woman, every child is created in the image of God and carries the same value as any other human being that has ever been created. During the six days of creation, God deemed that all He created was good. Every sprig of leaping greenery, every stretch of land, every rock, every beast, he said, was good. But God made man, bringing from him, him from the dust, and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And from the very beginning, we see that man needed a partnership in order to be successful in stewarding the earth. And that partnership was not found in any other creature that walked on the planet. God's good fulfillment of such partnership was the creation of women. Women are of incalculable value to society and in the home and in the church more than any other worldview. Christianity recognizes this and promotes this and has been the sustaining force behind upholding the value and worth and dignity and beauty of true femininity and its importance for humanity to be flourishing and to be balanced. Now, that's not to say that the world has found value in the biblical teaching on femininity. In fact, the world finds much of what we will consider from the Bible this morning to be repressive or sexist based on their standards, but in reality, the Bible 
places a value on women that far exceeds anything that the world has ever seen. And so as we think about this this morning, what does it mean to be a biblical woman? In an era of women's marches that, that make claims about income disparity and the Me Too movement and all these things, reduced birth rates in favor of careers and hypersexualization of women and the existence of Tinder and social media and all of the ways that these things influence our society, how should we be thinking as Christians about what it means to be a woman? We say up front, femininity is a beautiful thing. It's not a mistake. It is part of the mission and purpose of God's church, and that would not be fulfilled without women. Now, we're not talking about preferences for lace and pink and high heels and dresses. We're talking about the purposes that God has given God has given purposes for women and he has given instruction for what it means to be a godly woman living, living in a fallen world. What does that look like? And so we're going to look at one place in the scriptures. Now, obviously, we can't cover everything the Bible says about this this morning. But, but I want to look at this one place this morning where we get an idea, an overview, that if, if this were to be understood and put into practice in the lives of God's women. What a difference that would make in our homes, in our church, in our community. Now, in this context, Peter's dealing specifically with wives as they relate to their husbands, but these two verses really relate to what God calls all women to be, not just those who are married. So, all the single ladies, this is for you too. It's also one of the areas that the world would hear and the world would be certain that we're promoting a repressive patriarchy. While to the contrary, we're actually placing a value on women that far exceeds anything the world has ever known. Just like Jesus did in his life and his ministry, and just like we see all throughout Scripture. So let's read our text. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now again, as I said already, the surrounding passage is specific to women uh, who are married to wives, but the, the wisdom here is not specific to married women. Peter's straightforward admonition here is that a godly woman's adornment is not the things that can be purchased or manufactured or put on the outside of a woman. A godly woman's adornment comes from what he says is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I love how he ends that verse. He says, which in God's sight is very precious. So let's take a look at this. Three points this morning. The first is this, that godly women are primarily concerned with rightly establishing their identity. Peter begins with an exhortation. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Now, <clears throat> 
Some overreacting legalists could say what Peter is trying to communicate here is that it is wrong for a woman to ever braid her hair or wear gold jewelry or to care any, in any way about what she is doing with outward beauty, but that's simply not the case. That's not what Peter's saying here. If that were the case, you have to deal with, their, with clothing as well because he mentions braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, and clothing you wear. So if women aren't supposed to braid their hair or put on gold they wouldn't be allowed to wear clothing either, according to this passage. So we have to read carefully. We have to understand what the text actually says. And in fact, we have to think about it in light of all of Scripture. Remember the Proverbs 31 woman. What did she do for her labor? Well, she she was put forth as a biblical model for womanhood, and she wore colorful, high-quality clothing. And she even sold them in the marketplace. Or think of the bride in the Song of Solomon. She adorned her appearance with with jewelry for her husband to delight him. Remember Esther, she she underwent 12 months of beauty treatments. She had six months with oil and myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics to to prepare herself for the king. So, So Peter's concern here is not to say that these things are inherently evil or wrong to do. What he is saying is to not let these things be a woman's identity. Don't try to identify yourself by the way you look. And in Peter's day, it was no different than it is today in the hearts of women to want to use how they look to be identified. Men in the first century were just as attracted to women as men in the 21st century. And women knew just how much They know today about that, and so as a result, the same temptation was present to want to be identified by how she looks as opposed to who she really is. So Peter is saying, don't let your identity be wrapped up in the external, in your clothing, in your makeup, in your hair, in your jewelry. Is is that not exactly the opposite of what the world communicates in so many ways? In countless ways, the world is announcing to women that external appearance is everything. In recent years, there have been debates in the fashion industry about fashion models being too skinny. And yet, that's in a culture that's constantly communicating that everyone is too fat. So which is it? Are they too skinny? Are we all too fat? What's being communicated to young women? No matter what you look like, You're being judged by your external appearance. So we can debate about whether or not magazines should airbrush and Photoshop their models or or touch up the images at all, but in either instance, what we're communicating is that there's one thing that's most important when it comes to reading a magazine advertisement or watching a commercial on TV. External appearance is the most important thing a woman has to offer, so we just talk endlessly about what they look like. That's what's being communicated. It's sad, isn't it, isn't it that, a, that, that in our culture, a man, uh, men can create a new category called dad bods and everyone can laugh about it uh, because women uh, are preferring men who have a little meat on their bones and not just six-pack abs all the time. And yet, the fashion industry calls a woman who is a size 10 plus-sized. 
And this is what we see on magazine covers and checkout lines of the grocery store. It's what we see in the television. It's what we see in advertisements. It's what we see on the runway and red carpets in Hollywood and movie screens everywhere you look. It doesn't matter what the product is. There will be a skinny, tanned, smooth-skinned woman who does not have on a lot of clothes to try and sell something to you. And yet in the midst of all of that, we have women's groups who claim to be women's organizations, women who would loudly declare their feminist credentials, who also stand up for the liberation and freedom and power that comes from women being in the pornography industry. It is utter insanity that anyone could possibly think that they could simultaneously be pro-woman and pro-pornography. We're talking about an industry that thrives on things like human trafficking and and drug use and manipulation and control of women who oftentimes are already riddled with psychological damage as a result of abuse or neglect in their past. It's It's a pernicious and wicked hypocrisy to tell women that they should feel free to sell their bodies all to supposedly promote some kind of women's liberation while simultaneously feigning concern for unrealistic body image standards and calling a size 10 plus sized. At the same time, many of these women do what they can to assure, ensure that they don't look feminine at all. Many of them dress like men so they can defy the standards of culture, of what a woman looks like and dresses like. So their idea of women's liberation appears to be that they become very much like the people they say they hate, men. Do do you know what kind of culture thinks this way and talks this way and acts this way? A culture that is concerned with placing a woman's image in the exact place Peter is saying a woman shouldn't look for her validation. A culture that is so concerned with the external that it's taken to the other extremes on either end of the spectrum. Now, of course, of course a woman cares about how she looks and what she wears. And that is not a bad thing in and of itself. She wants to look nice. She wants to wear nice clothing and jewelry and makeup and have her hair done. Listen, that's not Peter's point here. That's fine. He's not saying women should just be plain Janes and and cover their heads and wear baggy clothes and no makeup and never look nice. No, nice clothing and jewelry and makeup and nicely done hair, all of those things are fine and good when done appropriately. But Peter's getting to the point that a godly woman isn't doing all these things so that she can slay. In other words, her her intent is not to gain attention with her body and her external image. Her intent is not to get everyone to to look at her and to notice her, what she's wearing as she walks by. Her intention is not to turn heads like she's the girl from Ipanema. Most of you are too young to know that song. It's a great song. A godly woman actually makes a value judgment and realizes... That all of this externality, all that we present on the outside, all of that's fading away, isn't it? All around us, through lotions and potions and serums and creams, people are trying to defy the effects of age in order to preserve a cultural standard of beauty. And yet we all realize it just doesn't work. And so godly women take this into consideration and do a value judgment and say, you know what, yes, I care what I look like and it's nice to look good and to wear nice things, but my value, my worth, my identity 
needs to be more centrally located in me. My worth, my value, my dignity, my identity is the imperishable beauty that's not going to to go away as I get older. It's not going to be based on whether or not the wind is blowing or the humidity is too high. It's not going to be based on whether or not I have a few too many cookies from the cookie swap. Some of those were really good, by the way. It's not going to be based on whether or not I'm showing a lot of skin or posting the most provocative pictures on social media. My worth, my dignity is found inwardly because of the work of Christ and because of the indwelling Holy Spirit and His minute-by-minute work in my heart to conform me, to mold me, and to make me more and more like Jesus Christ in whom my true identity is found. Godly women understand that their identity is in Christ. Their value and worth and dignity and honor are found in a heart of imperishable beauty. So what does that look like? How does Peter define this heart? He does so in our second point this morning, and that is that godly women are marked by a gentleness and quietness of spirit. This is how Peter describes the imperishable beauty of a godly woman. She has a gentle and quiet spirit. Her greatest mark of beauty is not what she wears on the outside, but is this this vivid, glowing power of the Holy Spirit that lives within her. So what does that mean? Again, we have to think about everything Peter's saying here because this is often misinterpreted. Is Peter saying that women should just be quiet and let men do the talking? Is he saying that women should just do whatever their husbands tell them to do no matter what, and if he wants her opinion, he'll give it to her? That's what the world assumes the Bible communicates about women, but the, the, the world is misreading the Bible intentionally. It is Christianity, in fact, that liberates women in a healthy, productive way, not only for them and their families, but for all of society. The Bible is not oppressive and sexist. It's quite the opposite. The Bible celebrates godly women. The Bible makes explicit references to the times when God used women in powerful ways. Think of the book of Luke. And the next time you read through the book of Luke, take note of how many times Luke himself records instances where women are highlighted in important and powerful ways in the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And when Peter's writing here, it's not that women just need to sit back and stand in the shadow of their husbands and fathers. That's not what he's saying. What he's communicating here more than anything is that godly women express self-control and humility and meekness. These are the marks of a godly woman. These are the marks of Christ, aren't they? Remember in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. Ladies, when you strive for biblical femininity... You are imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. Often when I talk about this text with women, it's a passage I use in premarital counseling a lot, I tell them what Peter's communicating here can be illustrated with a scenario. If you imagine a large room filled with a hundred people, a very nice formal cocktail party for work or something like that, what Peter's saying here is if you're at the party and someone just arrives and immediately they are drawn to notice you on the other side of the room because you're loud and boisterous and wearing something flashy and attractive and attention-getting, then maybe the concern that you have is not that you have a quiet and gentle spirit, maybe instead that you're seeking that attention. 
Not that you can't have a good time and laugh loudly and be festive and look nice, but again, there's an intentionality here. You know the difference. We all know the difference between being ourselves and how God made us and being someone who is seeking to attract other people on purpose. We know the difference. And so the godly woman recognizes what Peter calls the hidden person of the heart, her inward, Christward-looking nature. This is not visible in itself, but it is revealed through words and actions that reveal the inner heart attitude of meekness and humility and self-control, and those things will not fade away. So the idea is that a godly woman isn't someone who's always insisting on her own rights, She's not pushy and demanding and always insisting that she talk to someone's manager or always telling people that they don't want to cross her. She should have a spirit about her that that is the result of a, a quiet and continual trust in God to supply her needs. A trust in God that that he is in control of whatever circumstances she finds herself in. A trust in God that she is precious to him and that he will take care of her as she remains faithful to him. The kind of heart, this kind of heart, this meek and gentle or quiet spirit only comes by God's grace when he, as the psalmist wrote, renews a right spirit in us. God makes the tree good, so the fruit will be good as well. And so, ladies, what that means is, for example, if you have a reputation of being someone that that others don't ever want to have to disagree with or don't want to have to interact with or do business with because there's no way of knowing how you're going to react, there's a spiritual deficiency there. True beauty, inward, meek, and quiet beauty draws in. It doesn't repel. It actually draws us in. It's a, it's a beauty that is warm. It is inviting. It is, a, it is a hospitable type of beauty. And we all know it when we know a woman who we want to be around who we want to interact with. And more than likely, it's a, it's a mature Christian woman who we are delighted to hear from and learn from in life because she's clearly walking faithfully with the Lord and not afraid to be feminine in a godly way. A meek spirit is, is meekness towards God. It's, a, it's an easy and quiet submission of the soul to His whole will and to knowing His Word and through the general providences of life, trusting that he's at work for her benefit. Have you ever known a woman who was so captivated by the word of God and so trusting in the Lord that no matter what was going on, she was depending on Christ. She was trusting in Christ and never being moved off course, never being fearful, never being rattled. That's a meekness. It's a, it's a humility. It's a trust in God. And yet, so often it comes across as as it ought to, a strength, a lack of fear. It's a strength that a woman has when she's trusting God because nothing's going to knock her off course because she trusts in the Lord. And so a heart of meekness is a heart that isn't given quickly to anger and outbursts, but it's cooled quickly. It isn't inflamed because Christ has it all under control and I trust Him. And ladies, this includes your interactions with your children just as much as your husband and just as much as someone in public or in the church. Some women have so beaten down their husbands with words or have so belittled him that he has no desire or motivation to even try sometimes. 
That's not an excuse for male laziness, but there is a reality here that has to be considered. A meek spirit is the spirit of a woman who doesn't seek to just win or, or to get her way or belittle her husband or deprive him of respect and dignity. Remember the Proverbs 31 woman I mentioned? What does she do? She spoke so well of her husband that he was respected by others because of it. He wasn't like Homer Simpson or Al Bundy. And his, his wife didn't make him seem like the village idiot every time she mentioned him to someone. But she respected him. She spoke very highly of him and to, and to him, building him up in love, not tearing him down because she's angry or unimpressed or frustrated with him. There's a good and a right way to communicate frustration and difficulty, but the call here is to do so in humility and patience with love and respect. That goes hand in hand with quietness. That is an evenness, a a composure, a rest of the soul that speaks both to the nature and excellency of the grace of God. This is a peace. It's a quietness that is a marker of self-control and wisdom. And so, ladies, this is the question to ask yourself. How am I doing here? I hope we're taking an honest assessment of the heart this morning. Do you think this describes you most of the time or some of the time or never of the time? (laughs) Listen, this is so contrary to the feminist agenda in the West, isn't it? This isn't putting on a funny hat and marching down the streets of America to declare that there really isn't much a need for men at all. It's actually understanding that God created men and women uniquely and we need each other. It isn't declaring in the streets that it's a woman's fundamental right to kill her child that's living inside of her and calling that empowerment and feminist liberation. That's not so liberating for the female baby, is it? It isn't telling women that they're empowered when they give themselves away to every guy that pays attention to them. And having multiple sex partners is how they can set themselves free from being dominated by a male-driven society. It isn't blaming everything on the patriarchy and furthering a false narrative about women and their rights and roles in society. Women are a treasure. They are a gift. You women are some of the most important women I've ever had in my life, and I cannot tell you how precious and valuable and necessary you are And this church. And us men wouldn't be who we are without you. Thank you for loving and obeying Christ and having a desire not to tell the world that you're a radical who doesn't need men and can make it on your own, but for being godly women who understand how well we complement one another when we work things out from Scripture. Our children need your nurturing, caring, tender-hearted desire to provide love for them. To, to hear about their feelings and to hold them tightly and to lay with them in bed when they're sick or to clean up their messes. Listen, we've got some really great dads around here, but just go ahead and try and imagine what it would be like if all of our wives left town and left all their kids with us for an entire week. Effingham County would have to ask the governor to declare a state of emergency and call in FEMA, right? Now, fellas, we can all take care of our kids, and some of us are good at that. Some of us are less good at that. But you are not a mom, and you never will be a mom. There's something special about a mom because she has this gentle quietness about her with her kids. That's why in the middle of the night, they walk around the bed and go to mom's side and let you sleep. 
Women, that's a good thing for you. <laughs> that's because you have a gift that your husband doesn't have. So embrace that gift and love that gift and thank God for that gift. You get it from the Lord. We just don't have it. We thank God for you. So what that means is that a godly woman finds her authority, she finds her source of validation for who she is, not from Vanity Fair or Cosmo or People or Us Weekly, but from the Bible. It means that our little girls should have a much higher respect for and love for and make heroes from women like Ruth and Rahab and Lydia and Mary and Martha and Corey Ten Boom and Elizabeth Elliot and Joni Erickson Tata and Felicia Kennicott instead of... Instead of Miley Cyrus and Beyonce and Pink and Cardi B and Ellen. <laughs> I want my daughters to be women who could dis- be described like Peter describes Sarah. Later in that passage, he says, holy women who hoped in God. Women like Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. Women who hoped in God. What sets them apart from other women? It was the fact that they adorned themselves with a gentle and quiet spirit, trusting God, trusting the promises of God. Biblical femininity is, is fearing God and loving his word and tending diligently to the people and to the home and to the calling that he has entrusted you with. The world cannot make women this way. Their beauty comes from somewhere. It comes from someone else. This is so powerful. Peter actually tells us back in verse 1, this is so powerful what God does through and in women that their souls are so beautified by God. Christian women display Jesus in such a powerful, magnificent way that even unbelievers can be one to Christ without a word being spoken because of who they are and what they are. That's powerful. That's astonishing. Have you known women like that? I know you have because some of them are in this room. So godly, so confident in Christ, so strong in the faith that she doesn't have to say a whole lot, but people are won over by her because there's such a godliness in her life. That's not something the world values. But look at what Peter says as we look at our final point this morning. Godly women are precious in God's sight. Ladies, if you give energy to these things that God finds to be so stunning, look what Peter says. All of this in God's sight is very precious. Wow. I want to be precious to God. I want to say things and have a heart disposition that is precious to God. Women, you you get to do something in your life that the Bible says explicitly is precious to our God. And the reality is that we live in a time when women are outperforming men in in many areas of professional and personal competency, and men have two choices. We can find that strength captivatingly attractive and precious like God does because it's undergirded by a gentleness and quietness of spirit and an internal beauty and peace, or we, we can be insecure and intimidated and be like our father Adam who just backs away entirely and, f- and fails to fulfill our responsibilities. God's glory is beautifully displayed in women whose strength is found in Christ. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven seven that women... A woman is the glory of man. 
And all of this, again, Peter tells us is precious to God. As Christian women have the opportunity to, be, to do all of this, to work all of this out, they have an opportunity to be the greatest influencers on this earth. The striking beauty of a godly woman's spirit may win over the soul of an unbeliever. Her adherence to God's design in marriage can proclaim the glory of the gospel and what it means to be the church. Her faith in and knowledge of God's word can spill over into various spheres of ministry. Her meekness and tenderheartedness and quietness of spirit can be a blessing to a weary world and to battered souls. Her humility and modesty can be a reprieve from the rat race of the world, a reminder of what true beauty is that is found not in what's shown on the outside, but in a Christ-like character that is modeled by the Holy Spirit on the inside. A godly woman is precious in God's sight and precious to the world whether they recognize it or not when her heart is filled with a deep abiding hope in God finding her sure confidence and rest in Christ clinging to Christ by faith in every and all circumstances she's not the boisterous I am woman hear me roar she's not taking the streets and demanding that she should be viewed in the same ways as a man but rather she understands the absolute beauty and worth of being a woman created in God's image. That's a gift. It's a blessing. And it's for his purposes and by his design for the good of her home, for the good of her church, for the good of her community. Ladies, we need you desperately. We need you to be godly women. And we love you and want you to know that you're very precious not just in God's sight, but in ours too. That you're precious in our sight, just as you are in the eyes of our Lord. And so the call from God's word this morning is to strive to be godly women. The Lord is already taking notice. And you will experience all the more of the great joy and blessing of his kindness and grace and mercy all the days of your life as you seek to be who God calls you to be for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of godly women. We thank you for the blessing of the differences that you have created in men and women. Not valuing one over the other, but creating us equally in your image and yet calling us to distinct and important roles and creating us with certain dispositions and ways of thinking and desires in order that when we implement all of the principles and exhortations of Scripture, that it is worked out in such a beautiful way to bring peace, to bring joy and satisfaction and warmth and hope into a home, into a church, into a community. And we recognize this morning how vital that is. How vital that is that we have a value for women that far exceeds anything this world can offer, that far exceeds anything this world thinks they're providing. And so I pray, O oh God, this morning for all of the women in here this morning, 
that you would help them to find their identity, not in the external things that the world is concerned with, but that you, by your Spirit, would be working in them to continue to strengthen the imperishable beauty of a quietness and meekness of spirit. That thing about them that you say is very precious to you may also be very precious to all of us. I pray for our young daughters that they would know what it means to be a godly woman, that they would not be swept up in all of the concerns of today, but that they would look to the godly examples around them, that they would look to your word, that they would see the women of old and how they carried themselves and how they loved you. And how in whatever they did and wherever they were called, that they worked hard, they worked faithfully, and that by their godliness, they were able to influence and change the world around them. And two, our daughters can do that very same thing. And so I pray for them, God, first and foremost, that you captivate their hearts, that they would love Christ and desire to live for Christ. I pray for all of us as a church that we always remember the high value that you have placed upon women, that we never devalue them or think less of them, but that we honor them, continually give thanks for them, and that you would bless them to walk faithfully with you as your women, as our sisters. And we pray you do this, that your church would be strengthened that our homes would be places of refuge and evangelism and hope and that your kingdom would be strengthened in all the earth. We pray you would do this for your glory and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.